call me Ishmael, call me Al, call me Hingle McCringleberry. This is Baron Vaughn, and welcome to Deep Shit. Hey guys, what's a going on in this mofo? I am going to post this at the right time. Unlike the last episode with Cameron Esposito, where I posted it like a day late. This time, on time. Fuck you. That's what's going to happen. Uh, and I hope that you enjoyed the Cameron Esposito uh, episode, and she will be on again in the future, of course. And uh, today is the return of Benari Poulton. This will be Benari's third episode, I believe. But last time we talked, we talked about justice, which, of course, is a big subject. And we get off on all sorts of tangents because we've known each other for a long time and uh, just get silly. So we decided to do the exact same thing again on the same subject. So this is Justice Part 2 with me and Benari getting silly and getting way off tangent and stuff. And a lot of interesting stuff is said in this episode. Uh, we touch on religion a lot um, about um, Judaism, 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 however you want to pronounce it. Uh, and then also Superman and Batman. Of course, Benari can't not talk about Superman. And uh, and then we uh, get a little uh, we we have a couple of opinions about a controversial song that came out called "Accidental Racist" by Brad Paisley featuring LL Cool J. Now, of course, we're not the first or the last to talk about this, so it's a little late now because it's been like a full week since the song came out. But full disclosure, I've met Brad Paisley a couple times. He's a fucking cool guy. So. Not even necessarily just to defend him. I think that the song is actually kind of interesting in what it brings up. Is it a good song? No. In in the oof of in what makes a song good or bad, it is not that good of a song. And it's not even that good of a song for what considering what Brad Paisley usually does. But it's an interesting idea, or it brings up interesting ideas at least. And I, I gotta give him kudos for trying to do something like that. In the first place. So we'll get into that. Anyway, it doesn't matter. What I want to talk to you guys about. Um, probably said something about my $1,006 ticket. Of course, I'm still dealing with that. I'm hoping that I'll get that shit figured out. Mainly because this week I'm driving to a little town in Oregon called Portland. To do the Bridgetown Comedy Festival. So if you're in Portland, Oregon, I'm going to be at the Bridgetown Comedy Festival. Um, and if you run into me at a show, fucking say hey. You know, just let me know that you're out there. You know, uh, so if you're in Portland, when I'm in Portland this weekend, say hello. Tell me you listen to the podcast. We'll high five. We probably won't really high five. We'll mentally high five. I'll shake your hand or hug you awkwardly. And then uh, we'll go about our merry ways. And maybe even if it's after a show, we'll have a drink and a little bit of a conversation. I don't know what the fuck's going to happen. I'm open to all sorts of possibilities is what I'm saying. But it doesn't mean it's going to happen. I'm open to possibilities. It, but it, one of the possibilities is is nothing. One of the possibilities is zero, and me going home by myself to my room to sleep early. So that's that's a possibility. Who knows? Also, the following week, I'm going to be in the Moon Tower Comedy and Oddity Festival. You know what? Let me let me tell you some actual dates, just so you guys know what the hell's going on. Bridgetown Comedy Festival, 18th through 21st of this month. Moon Tower Comedy Festival in Austin, Texas, 24th through the 27th of this month. So I'm going to be in those mofo places. So if you are in Austin, Texas next weekend or Portland this weekend, say hello to me. That's what I want to say. Also, check out the All Things Comedy Network, blah, blah, blah. You, you know the spiel. Well done. 
theme music. Blah. Blah da dee blah blah blah. I, I might I might name my kid blah blah blah. Just so that way when I'm a parent and I get I fall into that trap of having to describe my kid or talk about him incessantly, him or her. I don't know what sex my child will be. Uh, that I can actually just say, and my son was just all blah, blah, blah. And it's like an accurate description of what's going on in my child's life. Does that make any sense? No? Good. We're only on the same wavelength then. Um, anyway, this is a long episode, so I'm just going to let it happen. And uh, I hope you guys enjoy. And again, comments, blah, 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 right? I would say that it's probably not, I, I would say that even biblically, if you look at uh, where that all starts, it stems from Cain and Abel. That's the, that's the parable we're given. In, original sin. No, no, well, not just original sin. Uh, the idea of, um, am, I my, am I my brother's keeper? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and jealousy and killing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the idea of, and again, it's, it's Cain and Abel. But they're two different types. What's ignored usually in that story is that there's another person in that story. Seth. Well, there's Seth. Right. But that the other person in that story is Abel. Abel, who was great. <laughs> who was great, who did the right things, and, but his nature wasn't warlike. Cain's was. Cain's was. And there's, Cain and Abel are, are, are basically chimps and bonobos. And they're still <laughs> – and Abel uh, still um, has – a presence in modern life. There's, you know, it wasn't just Cain's people. Cain went off to wander, mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm. there's people descended from Cain, but there's still the descendants of Abel. Of Abel. And so that's one thing, and that's where when you get into, well, the Bible is all literal, and if it's not mentioned in the Bible, it didn't happen. Well, there are things that are referenced in the Bible, in the Old Testament, and and especially that it's implied that these things then happened. Yeah. It, there's but- a lot of in between the lines you know exactly. there's a lot of there's a lot of well you know there's that great uh, it's also like with Moses's sons oh yeah that there's that well, who is it Japheth is the one that was uh the shit the piece of shit but then there's like oh there was like three other sons that are awesome well look and then then there's uh in in mystical Judaism there's uh there's Talmudic stories and then you have um you have uh I mean, I'm trying to think anyway but you know there's you can get into Kabbalah and you get all sorts of things but um, there are apocryphal stories. There's the right. apocrypha. Okay. And there are stories. Once you know the, the template of the stories, then there are the details in these stories. So there's the story of there are three Eves. It wasn't just, it wasn't just Adam and Eve. The Eve that we know of Adam and Eve that's in the Old Testament story, there's actually a lot more to that there story. There were three Eves. Um, Julie Newmar, uh, <laughs> Eartha Kitt. <laughs> And, and Lee Merriweather. And, and Lee Merriweather. Right. All fantastic. Eartha Kitt was the last one. The important part about that is they were all hot. <laughs> yeah, okay. That's the most important part. Uh, no, but there was uh, the first Eve became Lilith. The first Eve was actually more aggressive than Adam. She wasn't an equal. She was more aggressive than Adam. Mm. Uh, she, uh, uh, <laughs> the dirty part of the story is she like, like immediately, she's created and then she like fucked him on top. She liked to be a top. That's... <laughs> That's the uh, – that, and he's so like, whoa, 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 so slow down, lady. So basically there were three Eves, and then God was like, that's not the right Eve. Let's No, it's not that. Adam is like, I can't be with this woman. So God's like, okay, Adam. So he sends 
the first Eve off, and she's Lilith, and that's where she becomes the queen of the. It uh, it depends on your perspective, right? Um, but it's all. It's, it's still. It's all about Adam. It's all about like. It's all about Adam. Yeah, Adam's like I can't deal with this. God, it's not all about Eve. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so basically, God was okay, Cupid, and 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 Adam was like, mm, I don't know if this is the right match. God's basically, if you look at it. God's like this fucking guy. Okay, <laughs> look. If you look at any story from the Torah, from the Old Testament, right. it's all a sitcom. That's I, I'm positive. That's why Jews are so good at comedy huh. because when you look at it, up until up until you got to the Torah, you know it was like Zeus came down. It was all these mythical figures, and they weren't relatable. And then the Torah right. came along and was like, it's about this guy, and his dad ran this idol shop, and he's like, fuck these idols, and he breaks all the idols. And then he's like, his dad's like, what'd you do? He's like, well, why, if the idol's so strong, why don't you do it? He's like, get out of my house. And that became Abraham. And then so God's the- like, Abraham, why don't you cut off the tip of your dick? He's like, what? He's like, look, you're gonna, good things will come. He's like, all right. And then he fucking blah, blah, blah. And then he like, can't have a kid with his wife, Sarah. So Sarah's like, why don't you fuck my handmaiden, Hagar? And he's like... Are you sure, honey? He's like, you need a kid. He's like, so, okay, I'm so, gonna fuck Hagar. So basically, the Jews were really good at pitching. Yeah, and they had a writers' room. Yeah, <laughs> there was. Look at Jacob and Esau. Have you have you read the story of Jacob and Esau? <laughs> no, so, I, I I don't remember. Isaac I remember is, a lot about the Bible, but not all of it. So Jacob and Esau. Jacob's the younger brother, right? But he uh, he wants the birthright because Esau is like an asshole. He's like this wild guy and just fucks and kills, and he's like, fuck you, and he, he's a bully, and he beats up he beats up Jacob. So Jacob's mom. Is all like we're gonna trick your blind dad Isaac into giving you the birthright. So he, they oh, get like yeah, a lamb okay. thing, and I'm he puts on the hairy this. arms. But the whole scene is like this: he comes in, and Isaac's like, "Hmm, you sound like Jacob, but let me feel your arm. You feel like Asa." He's like, "Yeah, it's me. It's Asa." He's like, mm, "You smell like my son Jacob, but you say you're Asa." Okay, so finally, whatever. It, and basically, Jacob tricks Isaac into giving him the birthright. That is Asa. Then he leaves. Then Asa comes in. And he's like, hey, Dad, I'm ready for my birthright. He's like, what? You're here. But then if you, then who did I? What? Then he looks at the camera. <laughs> ba, 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 ba. So then he gives like Asa like another thing that's just like, well, you are going to hate your brother for 20 years. But then you'll probably have a tenuous piece at the end of that. It's going to be hard for you. And he does. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so go back. Three E's. Because that's fucking fascinating. This shit is always fascinating to me. So, the so whole, three so E's. The, Lilith, the first E. So that's where, like, Lilith there comes from. And then, depending on your perspective, Lilith is, is either a— She's a strong woman. She's a strong woman. So depending on your perspective, she's either the, the mother of, you know, life and Mother Earth and all these sorts of things and all, all these—you uh, know, she's a—, a an icon of feminism. Right. Or if you're a dude and scared of powerful women, she's like, you're the mother of demons. Right. Dude, she's a controlling bitch, dude. Fuck that. Okay. So she's around. Then the second Eve, uh, God makes an exact equal. So basically like Adam was out of ribs by the end of the, (laughs) no, no, kept taking all these ribs. So here's what happened. So the second one, he makes exactly like he made Adam, but Adam's awake and he's watching God put together and he sees like, the bone and then the muscle and then all the like the brain forming and all the shit and then he puts on the beautiful skin and he's like well all that shit's underneath that i don't want to see that Ugh. and he's disgusted by it and god's like ah this fucking guy so adam's seth rogan so, <laughs> so that poor eve doesn't even get a fucking name <laughs> she's just sent off somewhere he's like why did you even look dude right and then so then God's like, all right, Adam, I'm going to put you to sleep. But wait, what happened to the second Eve? She just, she just gets sent away. But and the- then she shows up in Neil Gaiman stories. So then 
Okay. There actually is a Neil Gaiman. Uh, there is an issue of Sandman where he he talks about the uh, the three Eves. Okay. Okay. Um. So then he's like, "All right, Adam, I'm gonna put you to sleep. Shh, don't worry about it." He puts that. He knocks Adam out. Takes a fucking rib from Adam and makes Eve out of the rib. And then I was like, "Yeah, yeah, this one's okay. Yeah, that's pretty good." Jesus. So and there literally <laughs> there are tons of stories like that that add flavor and character and then you know scholars of before before there was before the there were there was this wealth of of knowledge that we have now right these are the stories that scholars poured over to try and figure out human behavior and the secrets to humanity and all of these and that's really what the stories are they're supposed to be instructional they're supposed to be parables they're supposed to but not literal not literal and a lot of christian pastors around the country do say the Bible is not literal. Absolutely. It tends to be the followers that take it literally, but the but the preachers right. of it are saying, no, it's metaphor. In Judaism, uh, it start like when you start reading the Torah, any commentary you see on it is like, this is not the literal story of mm. of everything, but this is the true story of everything. Mm. And there's a difference between poetic truth and right. literal truth. Right, and, right. And spiritual truth. And the more important truth is the spiritual truth. Two thi- okay, go ahead. You're going you're to finish. You were about to say something. I cut you off. I can finish right there. Okay, two things. Number one, I've been listening. I'm almost finished with this incredible podcast called The History of Rome. I don't know if I ever told you about it. It's literally the history of Rome. Literally. It, that's all it is. It's just he talks about the history of Rome. It's incredibly – I've actually – I've listened to a couple of – Oh, because you listened to the beginning of it, yeah. right, before he got the sound equipment. Yep. <laughs> the sounds, early ones, he just, it's just he's just talking like, yeah. about it. But he it's the same thing. It's, it's the same thing. It just sounds better, and, he, fan, get, and but, he gets better at it. Uh, the Library of Alexandria, which uh, it's uh, legendary. Some people think Julius Caesar burned it down. Right. But it was apparently – it was the place where all these texts were right. and all these scholars were. Well, we lost most of – uh, we we lost probably two thirds of recorded history when the Library of Alexandria burned, burned down, but also when the Gauls sacked Rome, correct, and they built, they burnt Rome, and all that history was lost as well. And one of the major ironies of that is that uh, most of our uh, culture and history, as they found out during the Renaissance, was saved by the churches. Yes, it, it was. Uh, it, it and was the, and and Islam and Islam, but 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 any a lot of. Um, the the religious elders right. uh, saved these texts right, and and then it and they were kept away. They were kept hidden away, right, right. But they survived they because survived. because uh, a lot of these religious institutions because they knew they know they, they knew that them. they know how to love and they that they knew they'd stay alive. Um, and then you know they were they were kept for all sorts of different reasons. And then when you got to the Renaissance, it was made public it was it was given back to actually people. we have all this stuff here guys nothing's happening yeah <laughs> they're like this hey. is the dark ages no actually that was not. I've, I've long said that um america that the concept of the united states of america mm-hmm. and the the concept of the democracy that we have mm-hmm. uh could only have been given i think could only have been uh created during the renaissance because it was the only time in recorded history mm-hmm. in which you had reason and religious spirituality kind uh, of a mi- working wedded, together wedded married so, there was there wasn't uh there wasn't that uh tension between science and religion you had very 
religious people. You had deeply religious men and women who also were very scientific minded and very questioning mm-hmm. of their place in the universe. Yes, yes. And they used everything. Uh, they, they used, you, you know, uh, every text possible uh, to try and explain, uh, you know, humanity. Right. And and pursued those. You know, they they pursued lots of different ways of figuring things out. And because of that, religion was just as important as science. Right. Okay. Right. Go ahead. So yeah. Well, no. I think I think that there's a a, a fundamental lesson in that, which is work, when you work in harmony with something instead of working against something, you you make tremendous strides. That we as human beings make tremendous strides when we work in harmony. So you're saying there shouldn't be creationism. You know what? I'm not saying that there shouldn't be. No, creationism. no. I'm not saying. I'm not saying that you're saying that. I'm just saying that like <laughs> creationism is is it's the buffer to science. I mean, I feel like we have that tension right now, obviously, in the United States, especially where other countries are looking at us like, are they still talking about that? Like that people are holding on to religion in a very literal sense Mm -hmm. and the lessons in the Bible and what it is that they believe those things mean and how we're supposed to live our lives. And then there are the people that are like, "Mm, it's this other thing. But creationism is like that. What? Well, I was going to say that if you automatically come at creationism with that's ridiculous i'm not saying it's ridiculous I'm no no saying i'm it, saying i'm saying the people that it's come, a signifier of the tension i am saying it's ridiculous i personally believe it's ridiculous but go ahead i'm saying if you come at that with it's ridiculous then creationists are going to come at your belief with the same level of of vitriol that you're given you're you're, you're it's the outrage monster you're given what you get yeah. So even if you think that the idea is ridiculous, you should still come to the table saying, I'm willing. But to... that's a big thing. People aren't willing. But that's the whole. But it's got to be on both sides. It's got to be on both sides. But I'm saying that, like, we, we, we do retreat to the, okay, we just lump. We go, you're a fucking idiot. I'm going to go over here with people who agree with everything that I have to say. Let me, let me uh, give you a, a, a very weird example of this. Okay. But I, I actually came to this conclusion. I, I came to this belief when I was in Afghanistan. Right. Um, because you were because everyone in your unit doesn't believe the same shit. N- I would say that no two people believe the same two. But things. you still were together. You still had to be you together. Had to, you had to work together. Exactly. Um, but uh, you're a liberal Jew. Look, when you go to war, you go to jail. You get religion real fast. Okay. Uh, and whatever that religion might be. Um, some people, it, you know, the religion of video games. That whatever you do, you do it religiously. You find you find ways to break Hope. up. You you find you find ways to break up the day, but also to give a sense of meaning and purpose to what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I was in Iraq, even when I was in uh, Guantanamo Bay, when I was in Afghanistan, you know, I would get involved with whatever Jewish community was there. Um, and I would always take advantage if there were services offered. I would always take advantage because my feeling was if the services were offered, I better take advantage of it because if I don't take advantage of it, they'll stop offering services. Right, right. <laughs> and, and then the people who really want the services, the people who really want the services, won't even have them because that's how that goes. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And a lot of times, what happens is things aren't offered not because it's it's a it's a it's out of spite. It's just there's no, no demand. There's no demand for it. Right. Uh, and that's a lot of what happens with Jews in the military. They just don't take advantage of the, the even if there's only one or two things offered, they don't take advantage of it because they just assume that there's nothing being offered. And then then they're not offered because no one took advantage of it. And it's just, it becomes the cycle. Right. Right. So, right. Um, in Afghanistan, there was this really terrific, thriving Jewish community. And um, 
we would meet and we would, you know, you'd read your tour portion and uh, every week and we would, uh, but the, but the most important part was we would have uh, a Shabbat dinner. We'd have a Friday night dinner every Friday night after the service and you'd speak and we'd, you know, it was, it was, uh, it was just a great little break from, from whatever was going on, whatever shitty thing happened all week. You had something to look forward to and there were great people and you have great conversations. Well, one of the stories that we were reading um, was, you know, the binding of Isaac. We got to Rosh Hashanah. It's the binding of Isaac. It's when Abraham takes Isaac up to the mountain, ties him up, and Isaac's like, hey, Dad. Again, very sitcom. He's like, they do this. The same long- Isaac that was the father of Exactly. Jacob he becomes the Esau. father of, of Jacob. Um, and Isaac. Abraham begat Isaac. Isaac begat Jacob and Esau. <laughs> uh, and somewhere along the line. begotten. So, and I'll go back to when I was in Iraq, um, one of the guys that went to every. Uh, Every Jewish Shabbat service with me was this guy. We call him AK uh, Ali was his name, mm-hmm. and he was one of my interpreters. And he was Muslim. He he moved to Oklahoma. He was working as a contractor, and and oh. he had, he had been born in Iraq, practicing Muslim, very practicing Muslim. Oh, okay, and he would come to service with me, and we had amazing discussions about a lot of the similarities between Judaism and Islam. And we would we would share the stories. And once we started sharing, there's the the similarities are. You know, pretty profound. You know who I wish was there for that? Joseph Campbell. Joseph Campbell. <laughs> but there's a couple of stories that that happen. So in Judaism, we have the binding of Isaac. Well, in Islam, it's the binding of Ishmael, who is Isaac's half brother. He's he's the older brother. Mm. He's he's Abraham's son. Now, Islam and Judaism both spring from Abraham. Right. So Abraham is is a very important figure in both Judaism and in Islam. And what happened was uh, uh, Abraham couldn't have a kid with Sarah, so he uh, so Sarah's like, "Why don't you sleep with Hagar, and you'll have a kid?" He has Ishmael, and about nine, ten years later, and Ishmael's a little more aggressive, and he's you know he's he's a, a little bit of problem kid, but you know he's a good kid. And uh, then Sarah gets pregnant about ten years later, uh, and has Isaac, and she didn't believe. That's why she had Abraham. God was like, "Just wait it out. You're going to have a kid." And Sarah was like, "That's ridiculous." Mm. And then she gets pregnant, has Isaac, and then she has Isaac, and she's like, oh, my God, he has an older brother. That kid's going to not – this isn't going to go well for my kid. I want them out Mm. and wants Abraham to get rid of them. Abraham just sends them off into the desert, and God's like, don't worry. You're a son of Abraham. I'm going to provide for you. Don't worry. That kid's going to be okay. And later when Abraham dies, Ishmael and Isaac come back together, and they bury their father. And there's a lot in there in between the lines which – in the Torah, which – uh, imply that after Sarah died, Abraham got remarried, and it's unclear about who he, who he married after Sarah. But the implication is a very strong implication, and many rabbis argue that he married Hagar after, and that's how Ishmael came back into the fold mm. and, and the family, and that's why Isaac and Ishmael uh, ultimately, you know, remained uh, brothers, and they buried their father together. Right, and it got me thinking. But Sarah assumed. But no, it, it, so it got me thinking right. about the binding of Isaac, which was um, you can view it many different ways. And a lot of people are like, how could he try and kill his son? But if you don't view it in the literal sense, you view it in the symbolic sense, the most important thing that comes out of that is it's Isaac accepting the responsibility. And Isaac is somewhere between 13 and 20-something when it happens, and Abraham's about 110, 120. Mm-hmm. When he brings Isaac up the mountain, and the whole time he's like, "Dad, where's the? We have all the stuff to kill something, but where's the sacrifice?" And Abraham's like, "Don't worry about it. God will provide." Then he ties Isaac 
to the altar. And I was like, well, I guess this is happening. Yeah. And he raises the knife, and then there's the ram off in the thing. He says, oh, look, God provided. And then they kill the ram as a sacrifice. And then it's like, never kill your son. That's the lesson. And <laughs> <laughs> Dude. Joking, dude. Joking. You were so close. <laughs> you were so close. You've been punked. So the real, so the real hero is is Isaac, who is accepting this. He says, "Hey, look, uh, I I believe that God will not let any harm befall me, and I believe that he, that my father won't kill me." So they both have to have the so trust and the faith. Both have to have the that's trust. That's going to work out. And the faith. So if you look at it as, uh, so that's what is in Judaism. In Islam, it's the same story, but with Ishmael, and. While I was in Afghanistan, as we were going over the story, the rabbi there said, and many people believe that uh, he married Hagar, and that's when Ishmael came back into the fold. And it hit me. What if, it, what if they both happened? What if that's, that's the rite of passage? Mm. It's a father-to-son rite of uh, transfer of power. It's going to look like I'm going to kill you, that, but it's going to work that out. That it's the thing that he did with his two sons, and he did it with both of them. And it actually makes a lot more sense if you if, – if you think about it as Abraham's this wonderful father and he's this righteous man, and how could he possibly, even if God told him to kill his son, how could he possibly do that? Well, if it were a symbolic ritual in which, okay, this is the, this is the, uh, the weekend that we go up the mountain and I tie you to an altar, and then you just hope that I don't actually kill you. The original bar mitzvah. It's the, it's, it is the original bar mitzvah. That's why kids be – that's I mean now symbolically we just have to read from the Torah. Our dads don't have to take us up mountains and, be like, <laughs> <laughs> and pretend like they're going to kill you. Instead, but I, but I they started, kill you with kindness. But if you think of it symbolically instead of literally, mm-hmm. oh, it's just, a, it's just a, a ritual. What if this were the ritual that they did so that both the binding of Isaac and the binding of Ishmael happened? So that it's not a one or the other. So if you're, if you're Jewish, you look at it and you go, well, that's not fair. Islam just took the story of the binding of Isaac and made it Ishmael. You can't do that. And mm-hmm. you know, Nizam is be like, it's the binding of Ishmael. He was the older he was the older son. It wasn't the, the binding of Isaac. But instead you do the Budweiser commercial from the nineties and hey, you go, How about both? Wait, isn't it both? Yeah. What if we're both? And that I so when I started thinking of that, it, it it blew my I blew my own mind. I was like <laughs> But <laughs> that that to me made the most sense of like, I think they could both exist. They don't they're not mutually exclusive. And if that's true. If they're not – if those stories aren't mutually exclusive, what else <laughs> isn't mutually exclusive? What else can I find common ground in? Right, right. Instead of the outrage monster. Instead of the Instead outrage of like, monster. No, it was this. Fuck you. I'm going to go over here with everyone yeah. that agrees with me. And if that's also true, if that's a belief, what, what does that hurt anyone? Right. If, 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 if believing something absolutely – and so absolutely that you can't listen to another opinion. Opinion. Uh, if that's the way you're going to go through life, then you're really you're you're actually preventing yourself from from learning more. I think and opening your mind to to other ways of thinking and to and to a greater world out there. Right. Right. Phew. Flu and brew. Woo. Well, two two <laughs> two other things. The one thing I want to tell you about the Library of Alexandra, which is crazy to me, is that it is theorized uh, and postulated and believed that it had a steam engine. Mm-hmm. It had a working yeah. steam engine that was the system in how the library worked and sure. things happened. And, and that's thousands of years before we invented it. Mm-hmm. So people are like, well, we would be in spaceships now <laughs> if we had, did not sure. burn that shit down. Then 
you made me think of two things. Uh, I think something that's going to take us into a subject we wanted to talk about, the outrage monster. The outrage monster. Uh, accidental racist. Absolutely. We're going to get to it. But then first, I read this book, uh, the beginning of it at least, called Misquoting Jesus mm -hmm. by a guy named Bart Erlman, I think was his name. Okay. And um, he was a born-again Christian that I guess he, when he was going to church as a young man, he envied and admired the facility with which preachers could quote scripture. Sure. Anything that anybody said, they're like, well, actually, in Corinthians, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, wow, I want to be able to sure. have that, like be able to go to the Bible like that. So he dedicated himself to life study of the Bible. He went and he learned Hebrew, mm -hmm. ancient Hebrew, right. Aramaic. And he went to a place to not only study the Bible, but the ancient texts that the Bible came from. Sure. And through this study, he lost his faith. <laughs> well, yeah. Through that study, he was like, uh, because. Because that's not what it says. The central premise, <laughs> the central premise of born-again Christianity, as he understood it, was the Bible is the literal, inerrant, inspired word, word of, of God. God. And the first thing that you learn in the ancient text is this is not the literal <laughs> anything and there's also these two of my favorite because he, he talks about like how like when when the printing press happened and before that the bible existed before that before the printing press right. and how all these different ways in which mistakes and additions and things could happen first uh, uh, first being that a lot of the times the bible was copied by slaves that could not read sure and that they were just copying just, the symbols it's, it's that they wrote, saw it's it's uh, it was not rote memorization, but it's it's rote copy. It wrote copy, and then sometimes you would skip whole lines or mm -hmm. repeat a line because there was no spaces in between words. Or, or th yeah, things got mis uh, mistranslated because they scribbled it incorrectly. Incorrectly, and people, certain scholars saw these saw these mistakes, changed it, and then scholars would see that and be like, they changed it. Um, also, some words and change it back to what actually was an accident. Also, some words that were used poetically mm -hmm. in in the in the uh, in the ancient Hebrew or the ancient Aramaic, mm -hmm. uh, some words that were used poetically also had three or four other meanings. Right, and right. And you could choose any one of those meanings. Well, I remember one of the, the example that he put was there were no spaces between words. He's like, there is a big difference between. I saw abundance on the table, mm -hmm. and I saw a bun dance, dance on, the table. on the table. He's like, one is a feast and one's a miracle. He's <laughs> like, that was a matter of fucking debate. Sure. Uh, and then the other thing is there were two stories, and I love this. Two stories he said that are probably two of the most quotable things from the Bible that he's like, in the ancient text, in earlier versions of those books, they are not there. He's like, there's three versions of this in Sanskrit where right. it's not there. Suddenly it's there. Suddenly it's there. And it's like, and that's become quotable. Two, the two are, um, let he who's without sin throw the first stone. Right. The villagers bring this whore to Jesus. Oh, yeah. He's got cat. It's, I think, cat. Yeah, I think the, the whatever. But yeah, it's let he who's without sin. Right. And the they're like, stone. Jesus, she's a whore. What are you going to do about it? We're going to, Lost says we got a stoner. What do you think? Jesus. And he's just like, hey. Whoever doesn't have any sin can throw the first stone. And they're like, oh, and then he, shit, he and then got he, us. Then he dropped he the mic. He dropped the mic. <laughs> he was like, Seacrest, out. And then he left. And then Bart po po points out very obvious problems with that story. First of all, that's Judaic law. 
a woman would not be tried by that for that by herself. Right. She was the property of her husband. Right. Where's the husband? Where's gigantic the husband? hole. <laughs> gigantic hole. And he's like, and it's just not. And then there's books where there's not there. Then the other one, which I loved, is um. So what is it? Mary and uh, after Jesus has died, the two women. I can't remember exactly who it is. They're on their burrows. You're <laughs> going down the Grand Canyon. Angel appears to them. He says, our Lord has come back and he's returned. And they're like, what? They go back and they tell all, the, they gather up all the apostles and they're just kind of like, guys, Jesus is back. And they're like, what shit? We should make dinner. Jesus shows up, right? They all have dinner. Easter. Easter. There are books of the Bible pre that. That story just came out of nowhere. He's like, it basically goes, the women were on their. Well, most, most biblical scholars still, uh, or today agree that it was most likely uh, the Passover feast. Uh, Jesus did preach. Basically, he was the first reform rabbi. If you if you really look at it, because he distilled he distilled it down to its to its essence, which is just hey, do unto others. Like right, right, right. Like don't worry about the okay. The other look, stuff. they were under Roman rule. Right, right, right. So at it was time, yeah. so so those who practiced Orthodox Judaism were outcasts and were persecuted. And a lot of people were just like, it ain't worth it to be Jewish. Fuck it. Peace it. I'm a Roman citizen now. And it's Jesus all about like, Zeus, baby. And Jesus all was about like, Jupiter. And Jesus was like, why can't it be both? Right. <laughs> He's trying to bridge the gap. And he bridged the gap. Bridge the gap. And he was like, look, I don't care if you eat pork or not. It, that's not important. You, you don't eat pork because it's not healthy. But if you want to eat pork, that's not the important part. The important thing is this thing. Yes. It's like, let's just... <laughs> he, <laughs> George Carlin, don't yeah, be a dick. Don't be a dick. Don't be a dick. <laughs> don't be a dick. It's what Maimonides said. It's what the – okay? But here's the thing. There are books of the Bible where that never happens. Right. <laughs> the women are riding their horses. An angel appears and right. says, our Lord has come back. They're scared. The end. Right, right. And he's just like – someone must have read that and gone like, what? Right. That doesn't make any fucking sense. Right. And they wrote an ending. Well, they had – well, and that's the whole thing is, you know, there's the crucifixion and then there's the, the return and the stone and then what happened? The, 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 the story that's odd is, okay, so he returns, but then where does he go? Exactly. No one ever dis- – and then it's like – He's no. just like a ghost and he like evaporates. Like, I'm back and everyone's like, holy – He slowly it's fades a away like Obi-Wan Kenobi. Yeah. And it's I'll be back in roughly 2,000 years. <laughs> I was going to be chilling in this cave. He's okay. the first hermit. Hey, be good. <laughs> Don't be a dick. Okay, don't be a dick. Be excellent to Seacrest each other. out. <laughs> Mike, Mike drop. But he said, that, like, maybe it was the point of it was for someone to read that and go, what? What happened? Yeah. And you're like, he came back. He came back. And you don't know when. Yeah. You don't know where. He's going to show up at some point. He's like, maybe that was the point of it. Anyway, let's, let's but transition. There is a, but there is a lot of that that, that goes on in terms of miscommunication misinterpretation and if you're gonna have an absolute opinion about something make sure that you're absolutely correct and you can't that's that's really what i mean you know the more you learn the less you know uh (laughs) you realize that there's nothing there's no science that's going to give you an absolute answer on something and there's no religion that's going to give you an absolute answer on anything everything is about the search well you know what the answer. I, I listened to uh, Chris Ryan's podcast in which he was responding to criticism of his book, and he was saying that in a lot, a lot of ways it doesn't make any sense to respond to the criticism because 
this is what he believes right now based on the evidence that he has seen. It could change. And it could change. He's like, he has corresponded with a lot of the people who he takes to task in the book. And he said, he, there was one particular person that he corresponded with and said, look, I'm taking you to task on this thing. Sure. I'm going to say that you're wrong about this. I want you to look at my data and, and if, just in case I missed something. And he got a response back from that guy saying, you know what? You actually might be right. He said that science is an infinite game. It's not a finite game. Sure. It's not a basketball team. One wins, one loses. Pluto's not a planet anymore. Things change. <laughs> because we got more data. We got more data. Things change. Once we got more information about it, we realized, oh, turns out Pluto's not a planet. And you have to all. and you have to be open to the fact that you may be wrong about things. Right. When someone cuz someone's going to prove you wrong, maybe, maybe not. And that's what he's saying. It's like these things aren't doctrine. They are a basis of science that we ju- it's a jumping off point. Well, to bring it back to mm-hmm. our initial conversation, isn't that the the real uh, lesson of Adam and Eve and the apple? It's the fruit of knowledge, and they're told don't eat from the don't eat from the fruit of knowledge. And it's not a pun. I've never viewed it as a punishment. Mm-hmm. It's a repercussion. It was a consequence. It wasn't don't eat from the fruit of knowledge or I'll kick you out. It was don't do this thing. Much the same way that you would tell a child, don't put your hand in fire. I'm not. And if you put your hand in fire after I told you not to, you're going to burn your hand. You're not burning your hand because I'm punishing you. You're burning your hand because that's a consequence of putting your hand in the fire. Eating from the fruit of knowledge gave them knowledge. And that knowledge was a lot for human beings to take. Suddenly, they were like, oh, shit, I know things now. I can't unknow these things. Right, right. But also, I've always thought that perhaps it was the point wasn't that they would never eat from the tree. He said, don't eat from the tree, basically right now. He didn't say, you're never going to eat from the tree. He just said, don't eat from that tree. Yeah. Maybe they had to go through some shit, and he'd be like, you know what? what I said about now, the tree. Now you're ready to eat. Now you're ready to eat the tree. But they took it in too fast, and they're like. Or it's whatever, but, but, but that search for knowledge, that search for truth, and you know, from, from any story in human history right up through. It's compulsion. It's compulsion. For us you can't handle knowledge. the truth. It's, it's that. It's. It's that moment of, do you really want to know what it is? Because once you know, you can't unknow. You can't unknow it. That's why when I get upset or angry with somebody, I'll bite my tongue for a long time. Because <laughs> I want, no, because, not that I'll bite my tongue. I'll tell them I'm upset. But I want to relax, step back, and figure out what it is I'm upset. Because a lot of times when you're upset, that clouds your brain. You start talking from that upset place. You start saying shit that you might not actually mean. Right. But you said it. But you said it, and you can never take it back. And if you've said that to another person, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter said, because that, that person, thing I said, forget what I said. It's already in there. It's already in there, and that person will never ever forget it. Ever forget. Ever that forget. You it. said that thing, and then you that you negated it, and then, it, and then it you you can't you can't you're right you can't unsay it, and you you can never explain why you said it it was there it was it in was your there. head and then the other person knows that it was in your head for whatever reason we'll say look we say shitty shit sometimes <laughs> that we don't really fucking mean we say shitty shit because sometimes it's like it's like i i want to communicate but it's like yeah sometimes i get upset i get angry and and really there's the, i have the moments where i'm just like i just want to hurt this person's feelings and I'm not going to say anything that I actually mean as much as I know that this is going to hurt them. So I have to check myself before I sure. wreck myself. Well, that's a great way to segue into mm-hmm. Justice Part 2. Justice Part 2. Let's do it.
Uh, Do you want to start with the? Let's get into let's get into Brad Paisley. Brad Paisley after this, okay? Because I'm going to tie this back into what we were just talking about. Okay, go ahead. Uh, because there are there are theories about whether justice was created, it, whether there's man made justice or natural justice, mm-hmm. and I think they're different theories. And in natural justice, that doesn't necessarily mean fairness. Right, right. Which we t- we, t- we touched we, on last. We, we time. touched on last time, and fairness is more of the modern idea of, of justice, that justice and fairness go hand in hand. But this idea of natural justice, of, of justice occurring naturally, mm-hmm. uh, or what those laws are. Um, that are li- self-regulation. <laughs> well, self-regulation would be us, would be, would be man-made. We create systems to create a system of balance. Of checks and balances. Of checks and balances. Right. That's more of a, a man-made creation. No, but, but there are certain things, and you pointed this out yesterday about the, the weird Republican – the thing about like climate control. Oh yeah, where it's just kind of like they're trying to control everything. Desperately. Yeah, I do. I find it weird when when you when you uh, are so into rugged individualism and um, you know American ingenuity, and we can do anything we want, and we but can fix everything. We can fix everything. There we is can make anything. We we are masters of our destiny. Right. And then you say. Wow, we've really changed the way weather happens now. No, that's impossible. Man can't – we can't ever – We can't change the weather. We have no impact on the earth around us. We can't control that. That's absurd to think that we have any impact whatsoever on this planet. But then there's also the element of – ooh, that's probably not going to show up. Hopefully uh, they're coming for us. There's also the element of it'll fix itself. Sure. The planet will fix itself. It's been here before us. It'll be here after us. It's yeah. like – well, but let's entertain the idea that there's more of us than there's ever been in us. Well, in the history of us, there's more of us than there's ever been. Let's just entertain the idea that we are uh, another factor in this ecosystem but there's this... that didn't exist prior. And now that we exist, we have had an impact. Good or bad doesn't matter. We have had an impact, an impact. just by being here in the same way that any other creature would have an impact on the ecosystem. Isn't isn't that an okay place to start? Well, but then there's that idea of well, but that we the the, the Earth knew this was going to happen, <laughs> right? The Earth knew it, the Earth is prepared for us. But so there's this uh, this idea, and I can talk about mm-hmm. uh, uh, the story of Jacob and Esau. Yeah, and there's uh, there's a lot of debate, and again, these are what these stories are supposed to be. They're supposed to spur conversation mm-hmm. and uh, have you figure some things out for yourself. And one of the one of the problems of that story is that Jacob does steal the birthright from Esau. Right. And even though Jacob's supposed to be the the, the now, awesome one, now Jacob spends twenty years basically studying. He he is you know he becomes as learned as one can be. But right. He's also a little bit of a mama's boy, and he's a little bit of a nebbish. So what ends up happening is once he steals the birthright from Esau, he goes on the run because Esau's like, I'm going to kill you. And Jacob goes on the run. He then spends the next 20 years living in the real world. And that's a completely different experience for him than, you know, the 20 years he, spe- he spent being sheltered and just surrounded by books, books and, yeah. and just reading about life. Now he was living life. And he learned a lot of hard lessons, and, you know, that shaped, that, that shaped the next part of his life. Um, but a lot of uh, problems uh, arise for people when they're like, yeah, but that's sort of shitty. He did sort of screw Asa over. But then you look at um, why he did it. 
Right, right, right. And a lot of scholars say, well, the reality is he would he did much better with this birthright than Esau ever was going to. Right, right. Because prior to that, there was also there was the birthright, but there was also uh, there was the there was the birthright, and there was the 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 blessing. That's what he he what he stole was the blessing. He tricked Esau out of the birthright earlier because Esau was was hungry, and so he he said, well, if you give me your birthright, I'll give you the soup. And Esau was like, fine, give it to me, and and. You're like, okay, well, Esau willingly gave it up. He so will he he traded away his birthright that he was going to kill his brother for 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 a bowl of soup, and then he he wasn't going to do anything with the blessing. Of course, Jacob was was a much better uh, person to receive the blessing and the birthright and and what he would do with it. Esau didn't want it in the first place. Esau wasn't interested in any of. He just wanted. Well, he just wanted. He was. He he was all about Esau. He was all about Esau. He was very much. uh, You know, he was. He was a hunter. and then a lot of the in between the lines of the story are that uh, that when he did that, it was like, you know, Jacob was mourning the death of his grandfather, which mm-hmm. was Abraham, and that Esau didn't give two shits about it. That Esau had just come back from murdering and pillaging and possibly raping and all sorts of mean, cruel, vicious things that were not becoming of someone who would who should receive this blessing. Right, so right, there was right. an element of it was natural justice for Jacob. To trick his father into giving him the blessing and to trick Esau out of the birthright because he he deserved it. And it was only because he was born a second after Esau. They were twins, but Esau was the more aggressive. So then it goes back to this story, and some scholars, uh, some rabbinical scholars, have theorized that um, the story goes that Esau came out first and Jacob was clutching Esau's heel. And they've theorized. That what that actually entails is that Jacob was the firstborn, but Esau bullied him out of the number one spot because he was the more aggressive brother, and Jacob was was a pushover in the birth canal. In the birth canal, wow! And so that Jacob holding on to his heel was Jacob's way of saying, "I'm supposed to be first. This guy stole, you know, this, he stole a second away from me that, mm-hmm. because he was just more aggressive and he bullied me out of this, and so that." All the all the uh, all the tricks after all the way of him, uh, all all the deception was just a way for him to restore Balance. what should have been the natural order of things. So, which okay. is interesting, and I'm not saying whether that is that's, really fascinating, actually. But but it's this idea of we are agents of, of our own destiny. of our own destiny, <laughs> and that we create justice, and there were repercussions for Jacob because he did that. He then spent 20 years on the run and then had to go make peace, and there was all sorts of hardship. That every choice he made created a new, another uh, system of events. A system of events that there were that every action has a reaction. That there are right, consequences right. for every choice that we make. Because that's the thing is that like in a sort of a way, it's a justified theft. It's a justified theft, but, but then, people want to go like, well, but why did he have to steal ever at all? But then after that, it didn't. It wasn't easy sailing for Jacob after that. There were he, he then had to go there through repercussions. All, he had to go through the repercussions, and there was a system of events, and then he had to deal with uh, Laban the Syrian, who tried to trick him out of stuff, and then. But it is a story of, and that's what I was going to say, and you just said it before I did. It's a story of action. It's a story. It's of a action. story of you can't just sit around, you're, you know, and watch right. someone who is not good rule everything. And so, if you look at it from the point of view of well, but if you make that choice. It's going to suck for you. It's going to suck for you. But it'll be better for everyone after you. Maybe. Hopefully. You don't know that. 
You don't know that, <laughs> you but you have to that. take the risk. But you have to take the risk. Now, he could sit around and just whine and say, Ma, it's not fair. I should have this. I would be so, I would be so much better. And then I think— Sitting in, around getting bitter? Well, I, I, I think in real life, I mean, how many people do we know, uh, whether it's in the comedy scene or, or really, I mean— Any place. Any place. Especially in, in uh, any sort of creative employment there or are, creative There are industry. people who are proactive, and then there are people who like to look at what's happened to other people and worry about why that's not happening to them. You talking about me? Okay, continue. <laughs> mm, mm, interesting. Interesting. Mm, all about Esau, isn't it? <laughs> this is Esau's fables. <laughs> this is Esau. Esau's fables. But as you were saying. But if you sit around and complain about it, you, you might be correct in identifying the problem. But what are you doing to correct that problem or to change that or to solve that problem? And if you're not an agent of change or action, you, you – uh, it, it, it does – in my opinion, it does you no good to be able to identify an injustice. Mm-hmm. There, there is nothing there – is, there is uh, no reward – uh, there is no reward for identifying a problem if you don't come up with some way to solve it or right, at least right. make an attempt to solve it. And that's a big thing where it's just kind of like um, when someone does something, quote unquote, bad, we preclude any decision. We, mm-hmm. we preclude any sort of situation that might have led them to that decision. Sure. It's like, oh, they did that bad thing. Therefore, I'm going to write them off forever. It's like, well, what is the situation? That they were in right. that caused them to. It's they miss. Oh yeah. You know, it's you stole you, you stole bread. It's like my sister's child was close to death. Sure. You uh you uh grew up and like, Jean Valjean is Jacob. Sure. Sure. And he and spends the whole he, life. He's, he's one he's, thing. He's, he's, he's on the run. He's he's sheltered and then he's then he's on the run. And and yeah. he tries to do good for the rest of his life after he gets out of jail after right. he runs away. Right. But somebody's obsessed with him. He's got a stalker. Just can't win. Just can't win. Everything, everything is, everything is everything. Well, that's really, yeah. I guess that's just what I'm saying. It's just like um, we tend to write people off, sure, but we don't entertain the situation. Not that that sometimes people are just fucking shitty, but a lot of the times you can, no one is born shitty, or are they? Or are they? <laughs> maybe they were clutching you in the birth canal. Well, no, maybe maybe some people. Again, it's not to say that people can't change or not to justify people being shitty. Right, right. But as we talked about before, sometimes people are going to be shitty. And at a certain point, you have to stop expecting them to act differently. Yes, yes, yes. And then yes. you can't control their actions. Mm-hmm. But you can start uh, controlling – you can control your own. And you can make a decision saying, well, I pretty based on the past – I'm pretty sure they're going to act this way. Mm-hmm. Now, it's going to seem shitty if it were out of context. It would seem shitty that I do this thing. But it's based on, you know, every other time we've done we've done it this way, it hasn't worked because this person has been shitty. So this time, I'm going to do something different. Yeah. And I'm going to take the flack for it because it's going to look it's going to look shitty because now I'm not doing a great, you know, I'm I'm writing that person off. Right. But if you're writing that person off because, you know, <laughs> the past has dictated that they're going to act a certain way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Why should this be any different? Now you're also anticipating there are going to be repercussions. Right. But you have to accept the fact that, well, I'm doing this for the greater good and whatever. Et it's cetera, about. Et it's still about taking action. It's about taking it's about, action. Instead of being a passive person sure. sitting there being like, I'm just going to like be good. Sometimes you have to get off your ass mm-hmm. and do some shit. And it's why we have 
you know that there's uh, that cliche of uh, don't make uh, don't make the perfect the enemy of the good, which is you can wait around for the perfect solution, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. Uh, or you can just act on something that's a little bit better. And it happens in politics all the time. Right, right. Where, you know, you look at the current healthcare law, right? Uh, the healthcare reform, which is really insurance, which has more to do with insurance than it does about the actual healthcare system. Yes. It has to do with the access to the healthcare in the first place. It has to do with access to healthcare. It does not address the problem of why healthcare costs as much as it does. It does nothing to address that. Well, I remember, but it's a good first step. Yeah. in terms of getting everyone to a to a bare minimum amount of coverage, so then you can get to the next step. And maybe in twenty years, now that we've now that we've addressed this pro- part of the problem, mm-hmm. now we'll address this next part. And baby step towards something so that in twenty years, in thirty years, in forty years, it's a better you can't overall do system. Do everything at one time, but you can do a little now and set set the course of events. Absolutely. In 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 the course, and set I, the course of the course. Set get on course of the course. And I think a lot of people, too, of course, of course. I think a lot of people who fought against or still continue to fight against any sort of healthcare reform understand that very well. They understand once you make those steps, you can't go back. You can't go back. So they don't even want those steps to be taken. Because that look that fucks their business plan. <laughs> that fucks their business plan up, and they're like, "Look, I, <laughs> that means I'm going to have to come with a whole. I spent 20 years coming up with this business plan based on this corrupt system. Now you want me to write a whole new book about it? That's going to be a lot of work for me. I'd rather pour all my money into fighting you." <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Oh, did you ever hear about that? Oh, you ever hear about that? Um, the girl who she died in a car accident, right? And. She was not at fault. The person who hit her was at fault. Totally at fault. Oh, this is the, uh, the progressive, this is progressive insurance. Exactly. I hope you do. I hope you have no. <laughs> I, I hope you're not doing any commercials for them. Or you no. had okay. I just I don't. But wanna, just I don't like wanna, I don't want to fuck up your career by talking about progressive. If you are listening and you do not know this story, this woman, this girl died in a car accident. She had progressive auto insurance. She was not at fault. Right. The her family went af, went after the guy. They they won. and they want they won a settlement. But then Progressive decided Progressive, it was cheaper to pay for an attorney. Right. They paid for the attorneys for the guy. Who the guy killed who killed this woman. Their client. Their client. Yes. They thought it was cheaper. Her insurance company paid for her murderer's attorney. Attorney to try to get the case thrown out of court. Yes. Or to show that she wasn't at fault, so they didn't have to pay the settlement. Right. In the end, they still lost. And they paid the settlement, and they paid for a crazy expensive lawyer. It's awful. It, it's <laughs> absolutely incredible. Yeah, it's absolutely it's incredible. Maddening. And you know, I see this. This, uh, and I remember feeling that way about uh, this. Is a, it's related? It's not the same thing. Just when uh, Obama was originally, when he was originally running, and Obama and McCain, you know, because then in the midst of their campaigning, we hit that fucking recession. Suddenly, it was like, whoa! And I remember there being one thing about. Uh, and I feel like it's all related in terms of like the housing bubble and the credit crisis is that people don't include colleges in that whole thing. Oh, sure. People are not including the cost of college well, and college debt into the whole conversation about housing and credit. Well, education debt is the biggest uh, debt. It's the largest amount of debt, and it's the one that doesn't get erased if you declare bankruptcy. All your other debt can be erased in various ways except for college debt college debt and i remember feeling like they were talking about i remember hearing the language of we got to get more money into the hands of parents so they can pay for their kids schools sure but what a 
about the fact that all these schools are too fucking expensive. Well, and and this is where we get into the cost of things. Mm-hmm. And we keep coming up with ways to pay for things, but we're not addressing how much they cost. How much they cost or why they cost this much. Well, it's just like the old the old justification in the healthcare system is like our healthcare system is so incredible. That's why it's expensive. Right. If we pay less, we're going to get less care. It's like, well, actually, that's not true. But the reality is is that the healthcare industry is a booming industry. Booming. And the cost of uh, healthcare is not dependent on any factors. There, it's, it is a completely arbitrary system of, uh, of uh, billing. I, I, I mean, is the, is the only way to say it. If you need, if you need let's say, uh, a procedure. Let's say you need an MRI. Right. Okay? There's no set standard for how much that MRI costs. There's nothing to say from one hospital to another hospital why an MRI costs what it costs. But they're just looking at what other hospitals are doing and being like, well, I guess it's supposed to cost that much then. And, and we'll and charge once, more so it makes our MRI look the best. Once, Well, no, it has to do with the, what the MRI company, the company that makes the MRI machine, charges that hospital. Mm, mm. And there's nothing that – so the hospital itself might be charging a certain amount because it costs this much. But it all goes back to why does – giving this MRI machine, why does it cost this much in the first place? And then that also do is it's arbitrarily set. And then once that's set, all the other hospitals react in kind. Can't go backwards. You can't go backwards. So then all the costs are based on where you are or, well, this hospital charges this much. So we'll charge this much. And now you, and then it could fluctuate between, you know, two to $5,000. And then if they have insurance, okay, if they don't have insurance, you could charge them maybe, a couple hundred bucks on average, but if if but if they have insurance, you can charge them way more, so they still pay that couple hundred bucks. But the insurance is covering the whole rest of it. So, but you know what is actually more common? I read they they actually a national survey revealed they will charge people without insurance more than yes. they'll charge people with insurance because they know you can't pay it. Right? They know you'll go into collections. And then right. they'll sell your debt and they sell for the amount someone they wanted in the first place. Right. Absolutely. And and that's that's another way to do it. So there's and there's various there by the way, there's there's an unlimited amount of ways to make money in the current healthcare system. But then also I'm 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 making those uh similarities to the college system. Sure. Is that like well our our, well, our system of education is so incredible. That's why it's so expensive. Well, and and uh, you know, again, a lot has to do with the prestige of the college branding. So, so if your college is well known for being this prestigious place of higher learning, they're going to charge more because they're keeping up appearances and they want to attract a higher caliber of student who does a certain, who uh, comes from a certain background, uh, who has uh, a certain uh, lineage uh, and maybe a history of and the, giving the, endowments to this college. And a certain cetera, background is a big, is a big one because it's like the more that, uh, the more expensive colleges become, the more people are going to be excluded from that experience in the first place. Absolutely. So what we did was we made it, uh, we made it uh, accessible for students to go to college, mm-hmm. and we made it accessible for certain students to go to colleges that in the past they couldn't afford to go to. So certain types of students were kept out of certain universities. Not because they didn't deserve to go there, but because they couldn't afford it. 
And that was the system of checks and balances that the colleges would put in there. Because even though you don't come from you, – you totally qualify to go to this university, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. you don't come from the background we want. So we're pricing you out of this university. Mm-hmm. Oh, and that's a shame. You just can't afford to go here. Well, then we made it uh, – we made – we implemented a system in which that student could afford to go to that university if they qualified for it. Right, if right. They got the, if they got the grades and they had all – and they met all the other – Whatever, Suppose it checks and balances. Whatever other bullshit criteria that the college came up with mm-hmm. to to uh, let people in. Once you met that criteria, and then hey, you can take out student loans. Now you can do these things, and we have financial aid, and now you can incur all this debt. But you can go to this university. Exactly, and that's the biggest thing is that people we're taught that we can go to any university that we should be able to, and that's but new. we can't. And that's new. And it's very new, but and it has to do with the private loan corporations Absolutely. and companies and stuff like that. There was this book, uh, Generation Debt, that I read – maybe it was – two. I don't remember, 2007 or something like that. And uh, she was one of the people, the woman who wrote this book, along with a lot of people who looked at our financial system and was like, the way that we're doing things is going to crash. This is just no, this is inevitable. It's sure. going to happen very soon. And she was looking at it through the lens of uh, the fact that our generation is insane debt because schools are more expensive than they've ever been. Right. The – Free money that is available for us to go to school is lower than it's ever been. We have to take more and more loans. Then we come out of school with debt. And then we have to take loans out on houses into a, and get credit cards. We come out of school with an incredible amount of debt, with fewer job prospects. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You're more likely to borrow. And you're more likely to borrow to help again fl- to help float you for that transitional period out of college into the workforce. Mm-hmm. And which is becoming longer. And you could take a lower-paying job somewhere that you probably have to drive to, and you're probably going to end up spending more money on gas and transportation to and from your job than you're going to make at your job. Plus, then you look at, now I have to pay for these benefits because this low-paying job I took doesn't offer me benefits. Doesn't so offer I'm paying for benefits. my benefits out of pocket. Out of pocket. And now these are more if expensive. At all. If you're paying for them at all. If Or it's just cheaper for me. I just can't afford it. I just cannot afford these. And again – We've created a system in which we are forcing people into a debt crisis, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then we're and then we're chastising these people for, for bringing being, it on themselves, for being in debt, and for not making better choices. And that's what she talks about in the book: is that our parents' generation literally did not have these things to deal with, which is why they do not understand. They see it as, and also just the idea of how shameful we are. About money, sure. We're more likely to talk about our sex lives than we are to talk about our financial lives. People, oh, people, people will tell you how many people they slept with, but they won't tell you how much is in their savings account. Sure, you know or, what I mean, or or how much debt they've incurred, or exactly you know, what they made. But or... it's all it's all the idea of the assumption is we brought it on ourselves, dude. That sucks. That you suck. Yeah. You shouldn't have sucked. That's basically the idea the idea behind it. But there are these systems in place. She talks a lot about Reagan, especially when she talks about Reagan as the governor of California. Mm-hmm. Witnessing, you know, Berkeley, like all the, all the anti-Vietnam uh, demonstrations, being like, "Hmm, colleges are a bastion of liberalism, of liberalism, hating our freedom yeah. in a sort of a way." Why are we subsidizing kids learning how to hate our country? Then he became the president, and he was like, "Taking all that shit away, guys." That's ridiculous. And then all the private loan companies are like, oh, it's our time to shine. Right. Except that's coming at it. 
uh, from point of view as if he made this decision not knowing that these private companies were going oh, to make no. money. It's part of his Ra- decision. Reagan, Reagan's, decision. Reagan's uh, greatest <laughs> gift to our generation. Besides the song Proud to be an American. Uh, Reagan's greatest gift to our generation is privatization. Uh, the current economic system that we're in is, is Reagan is is Reaganism. It's eighties. It's we yeah. are we are living in Re- we are living under the shadow of Reagan because everything public utilities that used to be public utilities are now private companies. You know why you pay an electric company ridiculous amounts of money every month? People... Because it's not a public utility. You know why you pay phone companies ridiculous amounts of money? To then lose, you know, lose service at the first, you know, uh, heavy storm is because they're private companies. Their jobs now are to make money, not to provide you the service. So an electric company's primary objective is not to give you electricity. It's to make a profit. You know that uh, cell phone company contracts, it literally says that it does not guarantee Cell service. Yes, exactly. It's not part. It's not in your contract. If it were, if it were a public utility, right. the way it used to be before they broke up, Ma Bell. Right, right. Uh, before they broke it up into the baby bells and then privatized it, you you wouldn't have dropped calls. There was you, a, there was no such thing as interrupted telephone service system. unless there was something catastrophic. Your telephone system was a public utility. <laughs> This was a this was a service, and you know again because their primary goal then was to make sure you had telephone service. Right now that they're privatized, their primary goal is to make money. Well, but that was that's what makes us the strongest economy in the world. If we don't <laughs> do that, China's taken over. <laughs> well, have they taken over? They're going to. They, well, then I guess we owe I, them a lot of money. Well, then Weird. I guess. Then I guess do, why do we owe China money when we have this amazing because, economy? Because we wanted to prevent them from taking over our country. Oh, that's what it is. And becoming China. Okay. Again, it's that circular uh, logic which I, always gets. I have to stand in a bread line one day. And is that justice? That's not justice. You. Well, you know, and then the other thing is that. Um, uh, oh, jeezy, crazy, fresh and breezy. See, this is where I was losing my train of thought. We were already. The, you were already. Oh, Reagan. Reagan. This is what I was going to say. What do you think about this? Reagan was a response to Carter, mm-hmm. right? I don't know why who, everybody who, fucking by the way, hated Carter. Carter was a response to Nixon. Right, exactly. So again, but he only got was, one term. He only got one term because he uh, was not good on the domestic front. You, you can't uh, – he, he, he inherited a crisis that um, he made worse domestically. A yes. lot of people lost a lot of jobs. Um, he was not able to handle the um, – basically the, the, the fuel crisis, uh, and he was not able to handle he, – he just wasn't capable of handling the economic crisis well enough to and get also, a second term. And also he uh, – I, I want is it, to – is it safe to say that Carter was pissed the entire time that he was president? I don't, I don't think it's safe I to say that. I almost feel like he was a nice guy, but I feel like I, I he that, wasn't as personable. That was sort of like – No, I think he was – I think the reality is – is that he was a peanut farmer. He he was what he he said he was, and that he you know look look what he's doing now. Post he was the opposite, the polar opposite of what Nixon was. You know he he was the polar opposite of what Nixon was, and he wasn't much of a politician, um, but he was a good he was a good guy, and he and he was interested in helping people. But the but and then the, Reagan, what you're going to say? But, go ahead, go ahead. but the uh, but the logistics of of actually executing that and being effective. 
at executing what he wanted to do. Um, you know, if you can't if you can't do the job, you're not good at the job. Doesn't matter how good your intentions are. And I really think that a lot has to do with uh, why you know. And look, Reagan made people feel good. That's the other thing. Reagan brought to people this idea because he looked the part and Carter didn't look the part. No, no, no. That's that's kind of what I'm starting to get at. And so Reagan looked like the kind of guy that people wanted to be president right. at that time because he made them feel better, even if things were shitty in their life. At least they were like, ah, that guy's president. Who was it that said it? Geraldine Ferraro? Ferraro? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Um, some interview with her where she was talking about what it is that Reagan gave America, mm -hmm. like her talking about campaigning, sure, and asking a and you know people were going to vote for fucking Reagan, mm -hmm. and being like, well, why are you voting for Reagan? And they said because we're standing tall. Yeah, and she's like, that idea is impenetrable. Yeah, you can't you can't argue that. You can't argue. Oh, well, how about you not stand tall? I don't know how to I how to take something to that. I can't argue with that thing. I like. <laughs> I like that thing. That's basically what people were saying. Well, here's what I'm – I like this thing. Here's what I'm getting at, though. Reagan is a response to Carter, mm -hmm. right? Now, Re now, when we talk about Republican, Reagan is the phoenix of the Republican Party. The Republicans before Reagan were not Reagan Republicans. No. And Reagan the is way, the granddaddy. In by our, the way, what? the Republicans who came after Reagan – are not Reagan Republicans, but but he became this fucking standard. That's though. all he ever was. The the reality and a lot of modern day Republicans who like to uh, who like to reference Reagan mm -hmm. don't <laughs> look. The fact is, he was dealing with a very partisan Congress that was run by Tip O'Neill, who was who was the polar opposite of Reagan. So a lot of the things that got accomplished in the eighties were done with a spirit of compromise because they had to be. So even Despite Reagan's rhetoric, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. he compromised on a number of things because he had to. Well, and this is – I'm trying to make this bridge. Sure. This comparison sure, sure. to Obama. That's what I'm trying to do. Absolutely. Where well, I'm no, saying no, that like – Obama is very Reagan-esque. Obama is very Reagan-esque. He is – and people love Clinton, but but I, I got – Obama is more likable than Clinton. Clinton was very likable. People fucking liked Clinton. Sure. Although I'm going to say this. What? I think that – and only history will be able to tell. To tell. But looking back now historically at Clinton, mm -hmm. Clinton was one of the most effective presidents we've had. Um, now, unfortunately, W was also one of the most effective presidents. Right, right, had. right. And as a response. As, as, a, as response, a response to Clinton. Well, not just a response to Clinton. It was a response to what was seen as a weakness of um, – The United States? Uh, not the United States. It was um, – we got soft. We got comfortable under Clinton because Clinton was so effective mm -hmm, at, mm -hmm. at accomplishing what he accomplished that people could be focused on blowjobs and, unim and unimportant things. Right, right, right. Yeah, and yeah. so that the majority of people who were now looking like, well, now that we got Clinton, now we can do even better than Clinton. We can move – and if I can't get the better than Clinton, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to vote or I'm going to vote for this – you know, I'm going to vote for this person will never get elected or there's no difference between Republicans and Democrats. They're both the same. And and that was a direct result of the comfort that Clinton brought to the country. Right. Because right. things were going well. We had a war, but things were not going. We had well. a war and no one even knew about I the totally war. forgot about. <laughs> but I'm, but things weren't going well when Reagan came in the office. No, things were going terrible. And things weren't going well when Obama came in the office. No. 
So I'm just saying that I, I wonder, and I'll make it your thoughts on this, is like there's this – with Reagan redefining republicanism, sure. which kind of set us into now, we're still – Oh, Obama could redefine what, what, what uh, being and a I Democrat feel like is. And I like that is the greatest fear is that Obama is the – is the well, new shit? Well, no, he and that is. He's going. He's implementing things that you cannot go back Look, from. Regardless of what, regardless of what the rest of Obama's second term brings, by getting reelected, he's already cemented the the legacy. Right, right. He has already accomplished uh, that. He he has now set the agenda uh, for the next twenty to thirty years. Yes, and he's doing that, and that's the biggest fear. Is this just like we're still right. – Reagan has set the agenda for the next 20, the 30, 20 sure. 30 years after he you know, was again, president. We can, we can argue or we can debate you know, what will be the greatest accomplishments and what will be the failures of, of his administration. Yes, yes. But much like Reagan, we probably won't actually really the, see it. We won't feel the effects of Obama's presidency for, for another generation probably. And that's what I'm – and I feel like that's the, that's the most profound fear of Obama is that he's – going to change shit but why, he's changing shit but why do you think now so i'll tie this into what i was saying about clinton being very effective so clinton was in a very was a very effective president while he was president right but what his republican opponents were were uh, successful at doing was undermining that success and keeping it a short-term success and not making it a long-term success yes they yes were, they were able to uh to Bush was able to. They were the the Republican the Republican Party as a whole was effective at containing Clinton's success to the eight years that Clinton was in office. Right, right. And and you could argue maybe just maybe really just six of those years or whatever. But regardless, they were able to contain it to the nineties. And and Obama's success they won't be able to contain because the damage was done when he got reelected much the same way that Reagan's damage was done when he got reelected that the, the goal wasn't to to implement things under Reagan it was a philosophy it was a mindset it was a it was an idea right and that's what obama has and that's why republicans are really nervous about obama that's why they hate obama because they know what, he's bigger than they, Obama. They know that Obama he, is an idea. They know that he's bigger than Obama. They know people because who they were, gave it to us with Reagan. People who were born after Reagan still know who Reagan is. Yes. And that's that's how like and people don't know that there was a president between Reagan and no, Clinton. People and have, the the reality is as 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 effective as Clinton was, the the number one thing he'll be remembered for was getting a blowjob. That's the Number one thing he will be remembered But then for. I also the ironic thing I like is that uh, Republicans turned the word impeach into a joke. Like wanting to impeach Clinton for the whole Lewinsky sand, uh, scandal. It's like now that's a dirty word and it's stupid. Well, it sounds like – it, it's like that's the standard for what you want to impeach look, somebody they, for. They, the, the, the problem with impeaching Clinton and the, and the Clinton impeachment proceedings were that it undermined – it didn't just undermine the proceedings. It undermined government as a whole, which, by the way, helps Republicans. Even though the Republicans were the ones that did it, Republicans mm. are the ones that run against government, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, whether they're in government or not. Republicans run against the idea of government being effective. Right. So all they have to do to win is make, make government, government look, ineffective. look ineffective and prove its ineffectiveness. So 
when the Democrats controlled Congress in Government's the 80s— Government's ineffective because they in it. Am look, I when right? The, when, the, when the Democrats controlled Congress in the 80s and, and uh, the Iran-Contra scandal occurred, mm-hmm, there mm-hmm. was much talk of impeachment proceedings against Reagan. That's and true. the Democrats had to weigh whether or not it was worth it to try and impeach him, even though this – I mean – They didn't take you, it to trial. You're talking – you're not talking a blowjob. You're talking actual treason. You're talking about the highest levels of government extending possibly up to the president hey, when Nixon selling said, arms. Nixon said it best. When, when, when the, it's president the president doesn't, it's, it's not, not treason. Illegal. It's, it's yeah, not, not illegal. illegal. It's not right. illegal. Yeah. If the president right. does it, it's not illegal. So – that's so they had to weigh this and they took it under careful consideration and they decided it's not worth it to destroy this whole system on the hope that we might even get make this stick mm-hmm, because he's mm-hmm. such a popular president because he's he's this and that and so they had the, the you know they had the proceedings and they never they never took it as far as impeachment the republicans had no such qualms because they didn't care if they destroyed the institution in the process now I'm speaking specifically of the Republicans who 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 called you know who 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 uh, brought impeachment uh, proceedings to to the floor. Right. They didn't care whether it undermined the entire system, which is what it did. It made the whole system a joke. Right. And then, right. if you're a Republican candidate, you run on the platform that government is weak and ineffective. Because look what look what just look happened. What just happened. Wait, you're the guy that did that. No, 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 no. Government did that. Government did that. I'm just one man. What can <laughs> I can't do anything about? I can't do anything about that, and I want to make it so that government can't do anything for you too. Boo 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 gov justice. <laughs> Which brings us back to, uh, well, like we said, Obama is a. I mean, he's an idea as sure. well as as a human being, but he is. Bigger than himself. Sure. Or the idea of Obama and what Obama means, the very idea that the racial makeup of this country is changing, the priorities have changed, that we've, you know, uh, in terms of, like, um, domestic social shit. Sure, but, but, but it's always uh, – look, there's, there's – and, and I think this is, this is also how, how it ties into justice. Right. It's never one thing. No, no, I was about to say that's what I'm saying. Go LBJ ahead. LBJ as a president was very focused on domestic issues. Right. Education, um, civil rights, um, economic justice. These were the things that were very important to him. He didn't know or understand foreign policy that well because he didn't care about it. And when he took uh, when he took office, he basically outsourced all the foreign policy to his to his cabinet. Right, right, right. And by the time it, uh, by the time you know it, it es- things escalated, blew up in his face. Yeah. It was out of his control. Right, right. And he, as president, took responsibility for that by not running for another term because he recognized he's like, look, I accomplished all this stuff, and I would, I would prefer that I was remembered for implementing things like Medicare and education reform and all the all the strides. I think he passed something like a hundred and seventy. Education bills or something, under, mm. you know. While I, I mean, the the strides that he made on the domestic front are uh, will n- will probably never be matched. Right, right, right. Um, and the Great Society, but he'll always be remembered for Vietnam, and that's also uh, partly you know because he spent all his time focused only on domestic, domestic issues stuff. and not on what was happening with foreign policy, which we were also engaged in. Um, he has to take the hit 
for Vietnam too. Is that is it a tragedy that um, you know he's always going to be remembered for for uh, for Vietnam? I don't know. Um, it's his responsibility because he was president, and, right? And so you. But he kind of ignored that, and he ignored it, and then he had to and take, he admitted that he ignored, and it. then he had to take responsibility for it. I think for me, the tragedy of LBJ was he recognized that, looked at the candidate, he looked at the field of candidates that were out there. And the candidate that hated him the most, Bobby Kennedy, who blamed him for JFK's death, um, his olive branch to Bobby Kennedy was, I'm, gonna st- I'm not going to run for re-election. I'm going to pass the torch, so to speak, to, to you because he was, he was far and away the uh, – he, he was going to be the standard bearer for the Democratic Party going forward. He had the Kennedy legacy on his side. Right. He was and, incredibly well-liked. And more importantly – he was exactly in tune with LBJ's um, uh, thoughts on civil rights. The only candidate out there who fought as hard for civil rights was Bobby Kennedy. And so this was a perfect way to make amends and to, and to pass the torch and to say, look, I'm going to make amends for all of these. I'm going to make amends for what happened with JFK. I'm going to make amends for Vietnam. I'm going to make amends. And Bobby Kennedy, and this will carry the party forward, and this will cement – Maybe this will cement uh, my legacy, but trying also, to create that balance. I'm trying to create that balance and, and help the country go forward. So I'm going to step aside. And then two months later, three months later, Bobby Kennedy's shot and killed. And that completely changed the trajectory of this country. And then that gave us Nixon, which then gave us board to Carter, which right. gave us Reagan. Right. Which is right. Where right. We're at now. Right. Oh, history. Oh, history. Oh, history. But uh, the sense of, the sense of um, an idea, and I think we can probably end on, on this, but to bring it back to the most important Well, I'm thing. just talking about like, the fact that Obama is, is uh, a, a signifier that the, the racial makeup of this country is obviously changing. Sure. The, the, he, he kind of uncovers, unwittingly at times, certain institutional things that are in place that have been in place for a long time that nobody's been paying attention to. Just in terms of what things that are in the way of black people, Latino people, et cetera, et cetera, which the minorities bring, of this country. Which brings us to accidental racist. racist. Now, <laughs> it's interesting that you and I actually agree on this point. Okay, sure. so Brad Paisley released this song. Um, with his collaborator, with his collaborator, LL Cool J. Le- you know what that stands for, right? You know what LL Cool J stands for? What does LL Cool J stand for? Ladies love. Cool, cool James. James. That's what it's short for. Ladies love. Cool I don't know if it's James. ladies love or ladies lover. Something like that. I think, I think it's ladies love. Still cool James. Stupid. Um, <laughs> it's, just, it's, it's okay. LL Cool J. Everybody loves LL Cool J. So, yeah, ladies love him, I heard. He's so cool. Um, so Brad Paisley released this song called Accidental Racist, which I didn't hear about until it was a fucking – it was a torrential storm on Twitter oh, sure. about it. I'm like, I got to look this up. Now, I have a little history with him, personal history. A really close friend of mine's big sister married Brad Paisley. So I've met the guy a couple of times. Sure. He is one of the nicest people I've ever met in my life, especially as a gigantic star. Oh, yeah. That I guess we just always expect well, look, and that co- huge stars are going to be assholes. And, and there's a, always this and assumption. And he's a country star. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I think our expectation I did is, have a- even, is even greater because it's like he's a country star. He drives a pickup truck Uh-oh. and likes to – he likes to, you know, drink and, you know, kick poor and people shoot, in the head. And shoot shit. <laughs> he lives that – what's Levi Johnson? Is that that guy's name? The one that was supposed to marry a Bristol Palin? Maybe. Oh, yeah. Remember he was oh. – I like shooting shit and stuff like, like that. It's like, oh, we think that's what a country star is like. Yeah. Um, so I, I guess there was a part of me that's like, 
okay, well, he's probably conservative and blah, blah, blah. I, I, I made a lot of assumptions based on the fact that he's a country star. Sure. And I made a lot of assumptions based on my friend's sister that she married him. Sure. Which, but Which is the underlying – which is the whole point of, of the accidental racism. Of the song. But having met the dude, he is a flaming liberal. Sure. He's an not Obama, a flaming liberal. He's, he's an, an Obama, Obama supporter. supporter. He's a liberal. Which, which in, in country circles – you don't need to go any further than he's an Obama supporter. He's a Obama, he is, Obama he is as he's left. He's left of Hugo Chavez. Well, as, you know as far as his fan base is concerned, he grows his own food. He's very concerned about what it is that him and his wife are putting into his their their children's bodies. He's he's like, I'm not going to put all this chemical crap. He's like, that's not real. He's like, I grew this. He should be more concerned about what gay people are putting into his children's bodies. That's that's his fan base talking. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Well, uh, kind of. Some of his fan base. So, Accidental Racist, I think, we've talked about this, country music tends to be on the fucking head. It right. tends to be kind of a nail-on-the-head kind of a style. Right. We, as coast people, as New Yorkers and Los Angelinos, we're so used to nuance and irony and sarcasm and we, metaphor. We don't, we don't do earnest. We don't do earnest and sincere. No. We hide that shit with jokes and winks. Because it's safe. It's safe behind my winking. Right. Right. Well, we know that I'm not racist, so exactly. I don't have to. So if you if if you have if you have even a notion, <laughs> and I feel like that is the biggest thing is that there's been a mad rush to call the song racist by white people, well, so that way they can show that they're not. See, racist. here's the thing. I don't understand that. I do understand this rush to judge the song because it's not a good song. It's not it's the just, best song in the world, it's, no. It's not a good song. And having song. listened to some of his other music, he's got good songs. Yeah, knows and how it's to not write like songs. he's incapable of writing good songs. He's capable of writing good songs. Right, right. It's, it's just that this particular song is very on the nose, and it's not a good song. I also feel the same way about this song that I feel about Macklemore's Same Love. I don't know if you've heard that. Yeah, you, but, you talked about that, but I haven't heard it. But it's basically like, you know, the upshot is like, gay people are people too, and they should be able to love. And oh, thanks for telling us, Macklemore. Like, and it's like six minutes long. And, and I care about this but six minutes amount of time. What's interesting is about the same people that are beating up Brad Paisley for being racist for this song are praising Macklemore's song same love for being like what a what a revolutionary song and it's amazing it's because it's identity, they under- it's identity shit because they understand the fan base that macklemore's speaking to macklemore's fan base that is maybe more revolutionary to macklemore's fan base in the hip-hop community when everyone's got to be so tough and like you know posturing to come out and say like no it's manly to like support gay marriage it, i'm being i'm being a man in this community and saying I'm being a man by saying by it saying, doesn't do, have anything to do with it. it doesn't, I'm not threatened by it. I'm saying I'm not threatened by it. And so that's why that song is good for his fan base. The song is probably good for Brad Paisley's fan base to come out and say, like, yeah, you know what? We're not, we're not communicating. Like, when you wear your Stars and Bars T-shirt, you are offending black people. Right. I know, and I know, because I'm Brad Paisley, I know you don't mean it that way. I know that you are willfully ignoring the fact that the Confederate flag is a symbol of slavery. I know you're willfully ignoring that fact because you're proud of being from the South, and that's the flag of the South. Right. So until that changes, you're going to wear the stars and bars because you're proud of the South, not because you're promoting slavery. And there is the lyric that it's Southern pride but Southern shame, where he admits the duality. (laughs) He's like, look, I know – I'm I'm just saying I'm proud from the South, but I know that this is shitty, and I know that the South has been shitty, but I need I want to learn. The real problem 
that we have is not Brad Paisley's song, Accidental Races. The problem is, is that we, as a culture, allowed the South to keep the Confederate flag as a symbol of the South. As soon as the war ended, as soon as the Civil War ended, or as soon as the uh, War of Northern Aggression ended. Right, uh, Northern Aggression. Know, yeah, based on, based on the treasonous actions of, uh, Abraham the, of the tyrant Abraham Lincoln, which was an actual way. In Tyrannus. Which it, Tyrannus. <laughs> uh, I've had a Texan recently uh, refer to him that way. <laughs> okay, uh, beautiful. So, uh, so it's still out there is what I'm saying. Uh, but as soon as we allowed the South to keep the Confederate flag as a symbol of the South, there was ne- we were never going to have closure because that was always going to be a symbol of of uh, of the war, and it's and it all, and then it feeds the outrage monster, right? It, and that feeds the it doesn't even monster. it doesn't it, it no longer becomes about what the flag re- uh, represents, right. As much as they're just holding on to it because people don't want them to have it. Uh, we you know when uh, when when we when we won the war when we won World War Two, Germany didn't get to keep the Nazi flag, <laughs> and uh, it didn't matter that it used to be an ancient Sanskrit symbol of good luck reversed. Uh, just uh, yeah, you fucked that up for everyone, Nazis. So uh, that symbol going away. We're not. If you wear it, I'm gonna assume you're a Nazi. And uh, sorry, that's what you get. You're they might lost. as well just use the smiley face. Yeah. When it, <laughs> when it comes down, it would totally change our emoticons. Uh, I can't use emojis anymore. I can't use emojis. <laughs> the Nazis ruin the, the Nazis. smiley. They ruin the winky tongue out face. But I but I think that that's what it comes down to is that what he's trying to address is like, look, the South has a problem. They won't let go of the of the pride. In this flag. And I grew up in that. And I grew up in that. And I'm proud of all these other things that are the South. And I want to show my pride for, like, for, you know, for loving Skinnerd and for, uh, for loving the South. But, but <laughs> I know that the South did shitty shit. And if you just judge me and don't teach me about it, right. I'm never going to learn about Unfortunately, it. Unfortunately, the person who's going to help teach him about this is LL Cool J, who's like, who's like, I want to wear a do-rag. Really? It's not comparable. But <laughs> it's also interesting. I, I, it's, it's really fascinating, the, uh, the preoccupation with... I mean, it makes, it makes look, sense. Look, there's, the no worse, with, there's no worse line I, in 2013 than... You forget the gold chains, I'll forget the iron chains. I'll forget the iron chains. I don't know that that's the same thing. I don't, I don't, think, I don't think... I don't think they're comparable. You should have... You should let's throw that one back to the boys upstairs and let them LL Cool taking that back to the drawing board. Yeah, uh, you know what? Uh, uh, do it. Do a second draft. <laughs> do a second draft. <laughs> do a LL. second draft. LL second draft. You don't always have to say out loud the things you think in your head. Yeah, in, in rhyme. But <laughs> and it didn't even rhyme. You use the same words. So but let's start true. with it's a, that, let's start with you use chains twice. <laughs> it is true though that there there's a preoccupation with appearances in yes. the song. Yes, is. Jumping to conclusions based on what people are wearing. Right. And that's what it is. If I'm wearing the Confederate flag, you automatically think I mean these things. I'm wearing that, and I'm wearing a cowboy hat, and we're in the South. And I get that you're going to jump to those conclusions. Right. But I want – but I, what I would wish I could say is – Right. I'm not that guy. Right. And you see me in the do-rag. You see me in the gold chains, and you think I am this. But what I want to say is I'm not that guy. You know, the, the thing – And the whole point of the story is – it's awkward to talk it's about awkward. it. It's, it's awkward. It's awkward to talk about it. And it's uncomfortable. That's why it's bringing up all this discomfort and awkwardness. But, but again, I think there's a, there's a willful ignorance on the part of people. Anyone who walks out wearing a cowboy hat mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, a, and, a, and a Confederate flag T-shirt, 
If you don't think that you look like that guy, maybe he wasn't planning on but, running into black people that day. Well, there, there's your problem. Exactly. <laughs> there's your problem. Don't dress like you don't want to run into someone because you're probably going to run into him. Not, 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 not that he didn't want to. He's just like he didn't think about it until he's like, oh shit. Oh, this means ooh, that's not but, what I. But there oh, is, a, and I think the, I think part of the reason why he's getting the flack is because it's there is no difference then in terms of like what that style of dress signifies mm-hmm. in general. There's no difference in like I was just dressing up with this white hood. I didn't think about what the implications what are. I, I didn't think of the. I didn't think that it also represents something else. Until he thought about it. Until he thought about but, it. But. That's why it's an accidental. That's why it's accidental. But <laughs> he's saying, I don't want to do this. Right? Yes. Ultimately, look, he's, re- he's relaying an experience, yeah. if you will. It's a, it's a day in the life. This yeah. is something that sure. he went through, through his head during that day. Sure. And probably the next day, he probably said, but, you know what? I'm he, not going to wear that fucking well, shirt anymore. Well, you would hope. You would hope. You would hope. I think, what, I think that some of the reaction to it is that the upshot is like, look, I'm going to keep wearing the stars and bars. And you're gonna have to assume not that I'm racist, but that I just really like Skinnerd. And that was that was the other thing that I feel like I disagree with is people are saying that they think that he's jumping on the get over it, black people. Oh, I don't think that at all. Shit's over. Oh, it's so hard being yeah. white when you guys think I'm being racist and I'm not. And I don't I don't think that the song's coming from that place at all. No, I don't. I think it is coming from the place of like, look, I, this is my favorite shirt, and I, and I love the stars and bars. But also, I love black people. So, what do what's what's a white Southern boy to do? But I can't wear you <laughs> until yet. I get these knobs <laughs> sharpened. <laughs> so, so LL, help me out. Well, Mister White Man. Wow, that and the ra- rapping over <laughs> country music is. And no, he is not Jay Z. <laughs> that's that's clear. That's that became very clear. Uh, no, no offense, LL. Just in case I ever meet him and he hears this, he's not going to hear this. He's not going to hear but this. I'm, I'm but if he does, get, you don't know who you're going to run into. I'm not going to get punched in my face, though. I don't. Wanna, I hope not. I don't think he's I'm a not, big man. Look, just be with the ladies because just be with the ladies. Ladies, why love, do the ladies love? Because be with be with people that love LL. Go love ladies, cool. You don't have to punch me in the face. Yeah, there's all these ladies you could be loving instead of punching. Yeah, love the ladies. Love the ladies. Don't hate the play. Don't hate the play. <laughs> All right, that's stupid. Uh, but that's the thing. It's just like I don't think that, that Brad Paisley is coming from a everyone should get over this place. He's saying I, I am now aware that these things are awkward. Right. I have had this experience, I, and, I, and it changed me, and I'm reporting to you. I think it's perfectly, I think it's perfectly valid to come from the, the place of, look, I, I actually really love being from the South, and I don't know what to do because most of the things that I love – are also symbols of hate. <laughs> well, you know, here's another thing, uh, Benari. You and I know a shitload of people from the South. Yeah. Did we meet them in the South? No. I we did. met them in Los Angeles. No, we met them I, in New York. Uh, well, I've, before you went to – I've spent true. a great deal of a deal time, of time in the, in the South. South. And you know what? Every time I go to the South, I have a good time. Got to uh, say, a lot of cities in the South – I did a lot of colleges in the South for some reason. I don't know why they loved me down there, but they did. I'll, I'll, I will tell you this. I was just going to say – Well, I was going to say you probably didn't treat them like they were redneck hicks. No, but that's the other thing is that like – I learned in New York when I'm talking to my friend from North Carolina right. or Georgia, and I say something derogatory about the South, they'll go like, hey, that's where I'm from. Yeah. You're right, but that's where I'm from. See, I and learned, it's still like, don't lump. Don't lump. I've learned to uh, differentiate between my Southern stereotypes because there are plenty of people in the South who love 
a lot of the culture of the South and a lot of the of the things that the South has to offer, which there's a lot of fun things in the South. Yes, there are. Um, like trees <laughs> and rivers and things that are outside. No, uh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> look, there but, – but, but more than that, there's also a philosophy that is very appealing to uh, – to, I mean, not just Americans, but just to people. I mean, there's, you know, there's a there's a feeling of individuality of um of just, you know, doing you know you do these things because they're right. You know, right. There, there is a there is a code of ethics. Now we can we can discuss that's a whole other conversation, right? Whether right. or not they adhere to it, but there is that thing of like, look, just be a good guy. Like, don't don't be shitty. There is there is a variation of like, don't be a dick. In terms of southern hospitality, and in terms of, and you in know, terms uh, of uh, just of helping people out, I, you know, I've I've been helped on the street more in the south than I've ever been in in a uh, in a in like L.A. A, a or New a York city. or Boston. Right. People will just be friendly and be like, "Hey, do you need a hand? Do you need help? Do you need whatever?" Um, well, you know what? Honestly, when I've gotten to conversations with strangers in the south, it's never been weird. Yeah, it's always been like, "This is you." They, it's just like sayings and expressions, and it's a, and it's the the accent is musical, so it's just like oh, it is. There's a lyricism to there's a, a lyricism, accent. and like southern people know how to talk. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like a southern person that can tell a story is infinitely more interesting than any other storyteller. It doesn't ever matter that's about Uncle Zebus with his jug band. Well, like, but it might be a black person who knows how to talk as well. It might be a black. You person. went to Uncle Zebus with the jug band, and I'm thinking about black people. <laughs> Okay. Uh, uh, Uncle were you Zebus, just accidentally racist, right? Uncle Zebus could be a black man. <laughs> no one's name. No one's named a black man Zebus. Uh, he might have been owned by a white family. Zaquan, maybe. <laughs> Look at this. We're being such accidental racists now, right no, now. No, I think we're actually being intentional. Actual ra- intentional. No, I think racist? we're being intentional racists. Nah, was that totally nah, accidental? It's accidental. Oh, accidentally. Sorry. <laughs> accidentally. I didn't see you there. <laughs> I didn't mean the racist on you. I didn't see you. It was an accident. Oh, I'm so accidentally. Oh, did I just spill racism oh. on your? Oh, you got me, racism on me. Let me get some oh, napkins. Let me get some. You got racism on my accident. You got accident on my racism. Delicious. Two great tastes. Oh my goodness! We are so entertaining to no, ourselves. No, but I think that there is that aspect of the South where they're that it, they're so naturally friendly mm-hmm. that when racism or hatred pops out, it's shocking because no one will be more hateful toward you than uh, than a Southerner who is talking to you with a smile on their face. Right? Like, oh, we're going to kill you. Yeah. Like you know, you you could be in a conversation, and I think that's why it's actually very jarring and actually more terrifying. Because you could be in conversation with someone who's just like, yeah, you know, uh, yeah, it's a great day. You know, this is a great neighborhood, uh, but them Jews are moving in. And you go, whoa, whoa. Well, here's the other thing, though. This is interesting, and it's, this is the South. And it's, so ca- the South, and it's so casual. The South will rise again, okay? The South might be rising again. I think the South is rising again. It's just not the South that they thought. No, the new South is rising and the death rattle of the old South is going to be very loud, and it's going to be very messy. Well, it's already hap- it's happening, but it's like there are people like Brad Paisley. I've met plenty of Southerners in New York, in L.A., in Chicago, in Boston, in the South, in Atlanta, in Asheville, in Greenville, in all these – I was in I was Memphis. In, like there are liberals I was in all up on that. But I was in San Antonio, Texas. Which I'm going to see. see. Um, and there are parts of – now, that's where the Alamo is. Yes. And – Wait a minute. Uh, what is that? Uh, I, I forget. Oh, okay. But I feel like <laughs> if, was only I could, if only I could remember – I feel like there was something I was supposed to remember uh, about the Alamo. But I can't the, remember. the fascinating thing about uh, San Antonio is that – not just because of the Alamo. 
there's so many memorials in Texas. There's so many memorials to failure or to being on the <laughs> or to being on the or or to being sorry, on the wrong great. side Remember of history. Remember when we failed? The the wars that were lost, they they memorialize all these losses and they and act they them ca- out and they carry but they carry them with them um, as if one day they're going to make good on that loss. And if we reenact the Civil War enough, and it's a, but it it's will a, be different. But it's a fascinating thing because there's so much pride in Texas. And then you go through their history, and it's like, then they were part of France, and they lost that war. And then they were part of Mexico, and they, they lost, lost that, that war. war yeah. And then they did this. And then they were independent for, like, they were their own country for, like, a short time. And then had to come crawling back to the United States of America and be like, okay, we'll let you take us into your union and save us because we decide not to pay taxes to Mexico. Like, I mean, there are all these when you look at the history of Texas versus how they act and how much pride they take in these historical That's why you're events. not supposed to mess with Texas because they'll lose. Yeah. <laughs> don't They're saying don't mess with us because we're not going to be good at this fight. We're not good at this. <laughs> but they're very good at not letting you forget that they haven't forgotten. Yes. And but but What's really interesting is there are lots of people who take pride in all the great things about Texas and then go, oh, yeah, I, I hate that shit. I, I can't stand that, you know, that uh, throwback to the old ways or that, mm-hmm, that backwards mm-hmm, thinking. Mm-hmm. And Austin, people love, you know, people from the north love to go to Austin because right. it's actually it's a bastion of liberalism. It's a bastion of liberalism. But not only that, it's a thriving young scene that's progressive and forward thinking. And there's music and there's culture and there's all these things. And San Antonio, what's interesting is San Antonio is actually redeveloping. It's in the process of redevelopment, and there's a lot of that atmosphere coming to San Antonio. A lot of younger people. There's a lot of um, there's a lot of indie music happening there. There's a lot of art going on. Um, you know, there there's just this younger, more vibrant community that's popping up, and a lot of the uh, older people, a lot of the older generation, I should say, don't like it. They're like, they don't like it at all. And what they would say is it's turning into Austin. And they say it as if derogatorily. That's, it's derogatory. And it's really fascinating to see that dichotomy. The people are like, yeah, San Antonio just ain't what it used to be. You know, they're turning to Austin. And it's like Austin's great. Austin's like the future. Austin, Austin is what is is what your potential could be. Austin is actually living up to Texas's potential. But a lot of people don't like that. They want to go back to very simple, the old ways, this idea. Of a thing that never existed, of a of a way of life that never existed. It's just an ideal that they want to aspire to. It's an old ideal, but sure. they go like, "Oh, I miss it when it was like this." It wasn't like that, but it was in your head. <laughs> That's why you're just like, "Yeah, of course it can't." Co-. That's like watching the movie after you've read the book. It's never going to compare. But I learned. I mean, I learned to really like things in Texas. You know, I learned. I'm like, this is. I'm like, this is a fascinating place to me. And that's what I mean. Is just that, like, the South is rising again. It's just not the South that the people who said the South will rise again expected to rise. Right. Hey, it's a different. It's the new South. Be careful of what you wish for. You just might get it. Uh oh. So I'm just saying, let's not lump. Okay, I think that Brad Paisley is a again, he is a signifier of a new generation of a group of people in the South that are liberals that acknowledge the their own personal ignorance that acknowledge that they wish to learn that they wish to be somebody else that look, we did all this stuff. It sucked. I'm not that I'm proud of where I'm from. But in that pride, there is a shame, right? I want to learn. 
we have to be here together. We're still part of the United States. So what can we do? For so now. what can we do? <laughs> for now. For now. So it's like – and there's plenty of – and I like I, – I have always liked the South when I've gone there. Atlanta is an incredible place. Um, I've had great times in Memphis. I've had great – I was in New Orleans for Christmas. I, I liked that I didn't get to see a lot of it. But it's like – that's what I'm trying to say. Well, and I think that too um, – you you can have two reactions to a place that you don't like. Right. You can move. Never. Yeah. Move out of there. And I'm never going back. Or you know what? I'm going to change people's perspective. Perspective from the inside. I'm going to be here, and I'm going to show them that. Guess what? Uh, you think a certain way because you're just because you don't experience it on a day to day basis. So I'm here, and I'm and you know there. That's well, and that's I, that's a more active role to take. I wrote a I wrote a tweet that was accidental racist is revealing some intentional racist. Now my friend Ashley told me that they're getting death threats. Brad Paisley's getting death threats from people in his fan base who who are like who, are, who can't you? believe the message behind that. So, so he's getting attacked by the left. outraged liberals right. that are like, why would he even bring this up? We're not supposed to talk about this, Brad Paisley. The fact that you would even bring this up means you're racist. You can't even say the R word. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's R word. Then he's getting attacked by people on the right who are like, he's getting, you're a nigger lover. He's getting death threats. There are people Outside, like there are uh, cops stationed outside his house, like protecting his fucking family. Which isn't that also the point of his song is to say, "Hey, guess what? There are people out there who don't, who who actually are wearing this shirt, not because who who do hate you." Like again, he's he's coming in from the perspective of like, "Look, I'm a southerner who like I have no beef with anyone, and I'm a liberal, and I'm this, and I'm open minded, and you're attacking me as being racist because I'm wearing this Skinner shirt." But there is a guy sitting right over there who does think this way, and I'm an ally of yours. And when you attack me, you're actually making it harder for me to help you combat the real racism. To help you help us. Well, to combat <laughs> real racism. Right. But I also think there's acknowledgement of – I would like to think the implication is I have seen – I saw that this shirt made someone uncomfortable. So I'm trying to rectify that. I'm and I'm to not going to – yeah, I'm not going to wear this shirt anymore. I'm acknowledging I, – I almost want to say that that is the second part of that the song. The second part is I'm not going to wear this shirt anymore. I wore this shirt because he was probably listening to Leonard Skinner that morning. He put it on. He went down to the Starbucks. He started getting looks, and he was like, oh, shit. You know what? I'm not going to wear this shirt anymore. Doo -doo. Well, that's my whole sweet home. I mean that's sweet. Leonard Skinner's a whole other – Watergate doesn't too. bother me. Water, hey, we all did what we could do. Oh. Scuba do do Did you? Because what you could do, segregation was bad. I don't uh, think that you <laughs> Catchy ass song. It, they are all dead. So, not all of them. No. Uh, they got killed by racism. <laughs> racism killed them. They were, it was like a, a big, fiery crash. Big accidental. That was a, that was a giant accidental, accidental racism. racism. Accidental. accidental. That's awful. Um, that was a racist accident. That was that's awful. That, that was a racist mean, accident. The plane was white. I mean, <laughs> final thoughts. Benari Polton. Final thoughts. Yeah, we we scratched. Wow. Again, we scratched. Justice is a big idea. It's a huge idea, and we're still grappling with uh, with it. It's supposed to be grappled with. Yes. That is the point of it. It doesn't just exist, and that's it. Relates to the thing is with accidental racism again. Racism isn't over. 
and it is he's not taking over. action. You know what? It's a shitty song, but he did something. He's he, 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 talking he, about it. He's talking about it, and it and and it accidentally spurred a national dialogue on race relations. Thank so, God. So you know, if if nothing else, at least he did something to further the discussion. The discussion. Which is more than most people do when they go, oh, I'm accidentally racist, or I made someone uncomfortable totally unintentionally. I'm never going to discuss it again, and I'm just going to walk away and let that person think that I'm a total douchebag. Exactly. Hey, but he's doing, the, he's, he's doing the southern thing of like, hey, hey let's talk sorry I was a dick right there. You want, we good? Let's, can we talk about this? You know what? I'm not going to wear this shirt anymore. I'm sorry. I didn't mean and this. And LL's like, you know what? Racism, forgotten. <laughs> <laughs> Slavery, in the past. Done. It's not. But that's Done. the thing. Is that, and I think people are mistakenly attaching Brad Paisley to this. Oh, get over it. It's over. I don't think that he's saying that. He's saying there's just a lot of work to do. There's a lot of discussion to be had. There's a, and I think a lot of people are saying that. And like I was saying, the infinite and the finite game, right? Just like with science, there's basketball and you win and you leave. And then there's the game where you're constantly playing it and you always get new information. But just like justice, racism is a thing that you have to fight against. Well, sure. racism is a thing you have to fight against for justice. Final thoughts from you. Yeah. Did LL Cool J help or hurt the cause? <laughs> no comment. Because <laughs> I, might, I might run into him. And I, I just, I don't know. I just feel like. I just feel like. His fist ain't going to be accidental. <laughs> his fist ain't going to be accidental. Look, we all love LL just like LL loves the ladies. Just racism isn't over. And I don't know why. And yes, there are people who talk about it like, get over it. It's done. It's like, what are you talking about? That's exactly how I know it's not done. Well, look, if you think it's done, I know it's not. Well, that this is is in itself a racist thing to think racism is over. Well, we we spoke about this as well on the last the last time we discussed justice. Yes, which is that nothing is ever over. That you know, even Superman, he fights oh. the never-ending battle for truth, justice. And the and American, the American way. racism. That implies that that fight is never over. And look, Superman fought the Ku Klux Klan early on before it was cool to fight the Ku Klux Klan. So, you know, he's a... He's a he undid it. He undid it. You, you read Blink? Did you read Blink? I did read Blink, of course. Remember that whole thing? Yeah. Okay. I know. So, because so, you wanted to talk about this, this Superman... We bat, can talk bat, about bat, that. Superman, we can, Batman we can, thing. We can talk about that next time when we discuss America. Or we can talk about now. Fucking finish it up. All right, let's finish it up. Superman and Batman are basically both the American ideals. Mm-hmm. Superman is the ultimate immigrant story. He is the stranger in a strange land. He come, you know, he he's come with his past, but he's here and he is a a symbol of everything that could be. He is he is the example of the best making something of making yourself something once you have yourself. gotten to a new because place. Because he chose America. He came here from another place and took all that heritage with him and all that experience and all that knowledge and he uh, then has used that Jor-El power. Cho- jor chose but America. But he, but he has used that. He chose to once he was here and adopted. He chose to accept that, mm-hmm. and and which is why Red Sun is supposed to be really interesting. And, and live that and live up to the ideal. And even though he wasn't born here, he made this his adopted. home. He adopted it as his home and became the ideal for which others should strive to become. Mm-hmm. He, he, you know, represents the best. Batman is also so perfectly human and so perfectly American because he represents unlimited wealth and resources that are built on unimaginable tragedy and loss. And he takes that experience. Or profiteering. 
Well, no, he takes that experience and then does good with it. Never again. And if you look at any Amer- you know, you look at any tragedy in American history, it's what we do in the aftermath of that. Of the tragedy. Of How the you tragedy. deal with the tragedy. How you deal with that that you know propels us forward and, and sets the course of you know that sets the future course of America. So, you know, it's not just enough to say never forget. It's what you do in the wake of that. So it's almost like Superman is Superman is uh, turn of the century. Immigrants coming to Ellis Island, well, and then Batman is post World War II. We've had we've, a little bit, but he's. I would say he's born. You know, he's the America born here. I mean, whether it's whether it's you know. Well, I'm just saying that after born, we've had this big loss, but it's a, what are we going to do with that? America, whether it's the America that was born out of the American Revolution. And the losses suffered there. Yeah, it's true. Okay. And, and the tragedy Great Depression, and, and, Great Depression. And yeah. any of that. Or whether it's a modern day 20th century or 21st century um, tragedy. Reconstruction. <laughs> he can't bring back his parents who were killed by crime. Right. But he will make sure that n- no one else will lose their parents the way he did. That's, that's how he's internalized that and he's taken that fight for justice. Superman has, you know, lost his home planet. But he lives in the – he has taken on – His parents sacrificed for him. He's taken on him. that idea of sacrifice so that he could go forward and do good and, and spread good in the world and hopefully inspire other people to also do good. Both are making – trying to make their dads proud. That's all anyone's ever doing. Mm-hmm. So – but both of those represent an idea of justice. Superman's I- idea of justice occurs in the light. He's, he's a symbol. And it's in many ways he's the mask. It, Clark Kent. Clark is, Kent's the mask. Superman Clark, is what he is. Clark, well, I would say that Clark Kent isn't the mask. Clark Kent is the bumbling fool who never gets the credit because he doesn't need the credit because Superman gets all that credit. This ideal, this non-existent figment of uh, this this representation of an ideal gets all the credit. But Clark Kent, he looks like the fool and he's made fun of. And he doesn't have to worry about getting the credit. On the other hand, you got Batman. Bruce Wayne, no matter what he does, he's the billionaire playboy. No matter what he does, people are always going to love him and respect his wealth and his power. Or write him off. And, or write him off or whatever, but it doesn't matter because he's always wealthy, successful Bruce Wayne and always looks good. But Batman, as a symbol of justice, takes all the shit. People can think he's a vigilante or a murderer or whatever they think of him. It doesn't matter. Because he's he's also justice in action. He's the justice in the shadows. He's he's the I'm gonna do what needs to get done, and that's the balance. Those are those are those those two extremes, and that's why America is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't need to end with that sentence. We can, we can edit that out. was the ep hope to put some pep in your step so now go out into this good night and uh do what it is that you're gonna do uh i want to let you know right now as i record this on my television a little movie called the quick and the dead is playing so i don't know if i've talked about this movie before it's a sam raimi movie that i love and i always forget that sam raimi and it's it's a good place to watch gene hackman be a fucking badass if you like that kind of thing. Anyways, little Hazel Basils, go out into this world and do something. 
as we discussed. Um, and uh, it might be little, it might be big. It might be as big as joining an organization and dedicating yourself to a fucking cause for as long as your life or as long as one month. Or, and I hate how cheesy this sounds, just not being a dick today. You know, like we said, don't be a dick today. Or if, if, if not that you were planning on being a dick, but just be an extra not dick. I mean, be nice. Open a door for somebody. Compliment a stranger. Oh, okay, don't compliment a stranger. <laughs> I, I, if it's a stranger that looks open to compliments, compliment that stranger. Generally, they don't look open to it, and I don't want you to be arrested or pummeled to death by a stranger that just was waiting for someone to talk to them and brought out their, I'm going to pummel a stranger to death, brass knuckles out. They brought brass knuckles. You bring brass kindness. See what I'm saying? Smile at somebody. Just do something nice for somebody. Look how angry I'm getting about this. Anyway, guys, boobity farts. Talk to you later. Oh, <laughs> oh,